Well, okay. Thank you. Welcome to our Tuesday night Torah class. Um, let me open with a word of prayer. Father God, just thank you very much for, for the beautiful day we had today. Thank you for the interesting weather. Thank you for this Pesach season uh, that we're looking forward to. I thank you for this group of people that came out to study your Torah tonight, and I'd ask if you would just uh, be with us as we discuss these things together. Help us uh, to gain some insight from your word, to get to know you a little bit better, to understand how you'd like us to behave, and to just uh, appreciate how much you love us. In Yeshua's name, amen. We need to, I need to appoint someone to be a mic person. Marvin says he'll be a mic person. It's sitting up there on the counter. We're starting in chapter 35. Exodus chapter 35. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll go through over just for those of you that uh, may be a little new to this and people just tuning in. Um, we've just, we just go through the Torah. Now, we realize that the Torah has been divided up into 54 weekly portions, a parashah, they call those, and uh, I've, I have study book for each book of the Torah, and we, uh, the study book is useful for studying ahead. It's simply uh, a thing where you, you read a little, you read a passage in the Torah, usually about a paragraph or two, and then you answer some questions, and the questions are not hard, the questions are just to make sure that you understood what you just read. And then when we get together, we'll do the same thing. And because you've studied it, we, uh, we can talk about it. And we get into some pretty interesting discussions. Um, you know, we're all learning. I don't, I don't claim to, uh, I'm not uh, the teacher. I'm a facilitator. I just, my favorite phrase is moving right along and things like that, because I just want to make sure that we don't uh, spend too much time on one particular subject and uh, try, try to judge how, uh, how interested people are, and if everybody gets to, to yawning and dropping off, then I change my tactic a little bit. But anyway, where we are, we started in Genesis here, oh, must be three or four months ago, I guess, and we're just now getting about ready to wrap up Exodus. We'll probably not finish Exodus tonight, but we will certainly finish it next week. I say certainly. We'll probably finish it next week. And so one of the things I was going to do... Um, I've got, I can print the book for Leviticus, and these books are $10, and so if you'd like to buy one, I'll be glad to print one, but I don't want to print a bunch if you don't want one, so um, before the night's over or before you go, if you want one, just let me know, and I'll make sure and, and have those next week, and you can look at the, this one here after a, while, after a while, and I'll show you more about it. Anyway, there we are. So where we were in terms of the story, <clears throat> we'd just gone through a, a, a long uh, two or three weeks of Moses being up on the mountain, getting the detailed instructions from, from God on how to build the tabernacle. And he comes back down the mountain, and he finds, of course, the, the people. God told him, he says, these people that, that you brought out of Egypt have already gone astray, and uh, they were um, engaged in revelry and worshiping this false god that they made, this golden calf that uh, Aaron says just popped out of the fire. Um, anyway, <clears throat> we, we've 
been through that pretty thoroughly, and we uh, read where um, Moses broke the tablets and then went back up the mountain to see if he could get God to uh, forgive the people, and God gave him two more tablets. And so he's, he's back down the, the mountain now, and we, just, we ended last week with uh, the very tail end of chapter 34, where it talked about Moses' radiant face and how he wore this uh, shawl or this uh, whatever word you might use, a piece of fabric over his face so that the people weren't uh, kind of frightened and put off by his, his radiant face. We talked about how, um, well, anyway, that's, that's where we are. So I thought we'd start off the beginning of chapter 35. Are there any questions? Did anybody, you know, a lot of times, you know, whenever you go home, uh, you spend the week and you kind of reflect on some of the stories and some of the, the discussions we had. Does anybody have any, any thoughts of this? Last week was a pretty dramatic week, what with the golden calf and all that kind of stuff. Anybody have any thoughts or anything they want to talk about again? Okay, no biggie. So, let's start with chapter 35. And I don't remember whether we did this last week or not, but usually what we do is we get someone to read and then... Um, we just talk about it. And I, I divided the thing up into little portions. I'm kind of arbitrary about it. But um, let's read the first three verses of chapter 35. Would somebody like to read the first three verses of chapter 35, Exodus 35? I'm going to read plenty, so somebody's got to read those. Joe said he'll do it. And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words what the Lord has commanded, that ye should do them. Six days shall uh, six days shall work be done, and on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever does work therein shall be put to death. He shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. Okay, that's, like I say, short little three verses. Now, this we've seen this same essential command before. Um, and if you remember, we talked about why that's probably here. You know, at, the, at this point in time, they haven't started building the tabernacle, right? They've got detailed instructions and they've gone astray, and Moses has gotten them back on the right track, but they haven't done anything. So with that as a kind of a hint, does anybody have any idea why this thing is here, this little passage is here? We've talked about it before, right? Yeah, no, the first three verses of 35. It's basically the admonition to keep the Sabbath. By the way, if you go by the rule of if it's really important, God says it more than once, this has got to be the third or fourth time where he said it's really important that you keep the Sabbath. And it's my assumption that the reason he says that here is because they're getting ready to build the tabernacle. And he wants them to know that the tabernacle is really important, but you still have to keep the Sabbath. Just because it's, it's the house that God's going to live in doesn't mean that you work on the Sabbath. John. And the last time you mentioned it was, I think, Exodus 31 at the end of that, mm -hmm. which is right after he got done with the instructions of yeah. the tabernacle. Yeah. So I, I think this is just a repeat. That's, that's uh, what I was looking for. But there was an interesting thing here. It says, um, verse 3, 
do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Now, this has been interpreted in lots of different ways. In, in Israel, for example, um, one of the things you'll see if you go over there on the Sabbath day and you ride elevators in, in hotels, uh, the elevators <clears throat> are pre-programmed so that on the Sabbath they just go up and stop at every single floor. You don't have to touch a button. You just get on the elevator and they go up and you just have to watch and get off at the right floor. And they, eventually they'll come down and you can get on. You don't have to touch a button. And the, this comes from the, it's a tradition more than anything else that they've logically worked out that uh, by um, flipping on switches and stuff, you are, uh, you're, you're in essence lighting a fire. You know, you kind of are. I mean, you know, at, at the heart of every electrical switch, there's a kind of a spark, you know, where you're, re, uh, you're redirecting electricity one way or the other. I personally think that's a little bit over the top, but there's a, there's a kind of a tradition amongst uh, the really... Um, I don't know if the right word is orthodox, but the ones that are just really, really intent on keeping, you know, keeping God's law to the to the T, to not uh, turn on any electrical appliances or do anything, any light switches, on Shabbat. And I just, uh, are there any thoughts about that? I remember when I grew up, there was a, a fellow that lived. This was in Nebraska, and he had some Jewish neighbors, and it gets cold in Nebraska, and. His job, this friend of mine's job, was to go over to his neighbor's house in the morning and light, on Shabbat and light the fire for him because they wouldn't light the fire. So, I don't know. Like I say, I'm interested in your opinions about that. Jerry, Are, I have a question. Mm-hmm. It, it specifically says kindle. Uh-huh. And back then, if they had a flame and a candle or something that was burning, would... Would it be yeah, kindling it, to keep that going? Right. And, I, and yeah. would it be kindling to use that to set something else on fire? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a Boy Scout and you're out in the wilderness, you have mm-hmm. to kindle a fire. You have to, yeah. you know, go gather the kindling and you have to rub sticks together and work pretty hard to get it to work. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you where my, I am on this. Is I, it's to me. This is to me. I don't think God intended you to, in, intended us to stay in the dark and the cold, uh, you know, on Shabbat. Um, so I don't think it's got to do with being uncomfortable. I think, I think it's the work aspect of it. That is, if you're out collecting firewood on Shabbat because you were too lazy to collect it the day before, then that's not an excuse. That's, that's what I kind of think it is. It's, it, it's common sense. God doesn't ask us to just throw out common sense whenever we're trying to be obedient. And, and again, as we've talked before, it's a, it's a hard attitude thing, too. Joe's got something. <clears throat> oh, so does John. John's first. So it's, the Messiah says the Sabbath is not made for man. Mm-hmm. Man is, wait a minute, man is made, not made for the Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. the Sabbath is made for the benefit of man. Yeah. I'm just curious if he, I think that's only in the New Testament. I'm not sure. I believe that's only in the New Testament. I don't know if, he's, yeah. he, if there's a, Ancient source for that or what? Well, that was in context. That was where the Pharisees were getting after him for, uh, you know, rubbing kernels of wheat together and eating them on the Sabbath. That's, that's when he said that. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say, what John just said. But uh, to be put to death is a very, very severe penalty, uh, penalty for breaking yeah. the Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
I don't know what to think about the severity of that penalty, but like I say, to me, it's a question of heart attitude. And again, He doesn't ask us to do things that don't make sense, and He doesn't ask us to be stupid. But on the other hand, you know, let's see, I guess, let me put it this way. If you're out, you know, chopping down firewood and splitting firewood on Shabbat, and you know good and well you could have done it yesterday, but you were too lazy, or it wasn't that big a deal, and you didn't think it mattered that much, God knows that too, you know? So you're not fooling anybody. So it's not a matter of making excuses. It's a matter of knowing what's in your heart. And so I think what his point is, is observing the Shabbat is an important thing to him, and so it should be an important thing to you. I mean, they did have rules for you you could uh, work on the Shabbat if you were saving somebody's life, right? If uh, one of your neighbor's oxen fell in a ditch, you were allowed to help him get it out of the ditch on Shabbat. So, like I say, it wasn't it wasn't a matter of just being silly about the whole thing. Yes, there's there's another situation too. I think applies is you know, like for instance, uh, medical workers like nurses yep. and stuff. When people are sure. sick or in the hospital, they yep. emergencies don't understand Shabbat. Uh, Pat had something. Hi, Mike. <laughs> I think maybe you've already covered it, but the fact that if you keep the fire going, it's not kindling it. Yeah. So. Preparing it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I had one other thing, but I've forgotten what it was. I'll come back to it. <laughs> we'll give you another chance. Okay, like I say, the Shabbat's an important deal to God, and I think it's, it's one of the things that usually, you know, for people that have gotten into this thing like we are, whatever this thing is, the Shabbat is one of the things that happens first. For me, it was, you know, what, what's with these weird holidays? What's with Christmas and Lent and all this kind of stuff? And I, I couldn't find them in the Bible, you know. I couldn't find anywhere where God said you should do this. Uh, but the ones you do find in the Bible are the ones that uh, they don't teach you about in Sunday school and that we don't do. So whenever you ask yourself, you know, what is it that God wants us to do, you can find it here if you just, it's not that hard. And like I say, He talks about how important it is that you keep the Shabbat Several different places. So it's, it's worth looking into. Are there any other thoughts about that? Yes, just. We have to use the microphone because otherwise, people, uh, people that are watching on YouTube and stuff can't hear you. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Oh, yeah. I think that God wanted us to rest and not to be distracted and it's also to worship Him. Yeah. We just get. So easy for humans to be distracted yep. every day, and yep. just one day to think and stop yeah. running around and yep. just give him a place. You know, one—I mean, once a week is not too much to ask. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, it's—it's <laughs> it's not only—it's not onerous. It's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's a. I always thought a, a day. I used to call it a, a guilt-free day. Yeah. You know, I don't have to—I don't have to feel bad because I'm not working. That's yeah. guilt-free. Okay, thanks. But we humans need. We need structure. We, sometimes we need to be told what to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Do you have something? Shantane, is that what it is? I'm, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Um, I think also it was important to 
observe the Sabbath because of the land. The land needed rest, too. Yep. So, like, buying and doing all that, that yep. makes the, the earth have to work. That's a good, that's a point. That's a fair point. Produce for us. So, yep. Yep. just to have rest. Yeah, you know, this is an entirely editorial comment, but that's one of the things that I've been interested in the culture in Japan or in China. They don't, they don't have a, a seven-day week with one day of rest. They have a seven-day week with no days of rest. And uh, I don't know, that's unusual, I would think. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've heard anyway. I could be wrong. Yeah. Pat. I thought of it. it. It is the fact that your friend had somebody go light the fire for them. That would be breaking the law of not only not working, but not making somebody else work. That's a good point. <laughs> it kind of defeats the whole purpose, doesn't it? Yes, it's uh, you nor your manservant nor your maidservant should do any physical work. Yeah. But like I say, the alternative then is to have them sit around in the cold. But that, like I say, I'm not, well, anyway, we've, we've beat the horse good enough there. Let's move on. So with that little thing out of the way, we're in, in uh, verse, starting in verse 4. And... I thought I'd like to read this, if that's okay, just a little bit of it, and we'll talk about it. So I'm going to read down through verse 19, Exodus 35, starting in verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what Yahweh has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for Yahweh. Everyone who is willing to bring to Yahweh an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything that Yahweh has commanded, the tabernacle with its tents and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover, and the curtain that shields it, the table with its poles and its articles, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for light with its accessories, lamps and oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain to the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments of Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Close quote. So that great big long list is all the stuff that God had told Moses about up on Mount Sinai. But it's a fairly remarkable list, I think. I mean, what strikes you as interesting about that list? Does anything? John? Well, I'm, I'm wondering if this is an interruption because of, you know, we started off this long, many, many chapters describing the tabernacle. Oh, Moses, go down there. Your people acting crazy. They're, yeah. you know... Uh, worshiping the golden calf, and this is sort of a, this is where we left off. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just a thought. Well, that's uh, that's. I wasn't really addressing your question. No, no, but. that's okay. One of the things I read uh, about this is that this the next few chapters are very repetitive of stuff we've just read, um, and a lot of people say, "Well, you know, why why is it that way?" Did they think we got it the first time? And the different things I've read is this is very common in ancient Near Eastern literature to repeat stuff. And and I've said, you know, if it's important, he puts it in there more than once. Um, but, yeah, it, it's that. It's, the, I mean, the way I put it, when we first started on this long thing about it uh, several weeks ago, uh, I, I pointed out probably too many times that this was God telling Moses what he's to do. You know, it's, it's his, his word picture of what needs to be built. So now then this is the, okay, now we're building it part. Yeah. So is this a repetition or is it, just the same, different things looking at it from a different angle, or what's your take on it? I haven't really studied it. It's not it. a repetition, okay. but it, is, it, is, it seems like a repetition because you've read most of the stuff before, but it's not because here, it, you know, it's, uh, I, okay, I'll, I'll get to my point in a minute here. Go ahead, Joe. What is this, uh, the significance of all these uh, clothes and uh, jewels and everything else like that? Well, there's what is a, the significant, each one? Well, there's certain, certainly... Um, well, a couple things. One of the things that I got out of this list is today we know that basically God is tabernacling with his, with his people, right? And this list is long and diffuse, diverse, right? There's all kinds of strange things in here. You know, clear to oil and gems and gold and uh, acacia wood, all kinds of stuff. And it's, to me, it represents what God's what God works with. That's us. We're all that way too. We're all over the board. So, you know, whenever we always want people to act like we act or think the way we think, that's, that's not at all the way God looks at it. You know, it's, it's a diverse group, a diverse collection of stuff that he's put together and he's building into his house. That's one thing I wanted to point out. The other was, and you kind of led into it, just what's the meaning of this? Symbolism. There's a ton of symbolism in here. And so I thought we'd go over some of that just for the fun of it. This, this is the list of materials. The material list is what this is, right? So one of the first things he mentions are um, gold, silver, and bronze. What are those symbolic of? Kenneth's got something. Um, this is kind of going just before that quote. That silver and bronze okay but still in the same verse okay oh it's uh he's addressing everyone whose heart so moves him let him bring as a contribution to yahweh yep and uh that's awesome that's the way you know offering works and, and everything it, yes when you have that, that pressing on your heart to do so <clears throat> yes now um, but the gold and silver and stuff uh gold being the most the most pure <clears throat> Mm -hmm. uh, and silver, you know, next in line. I forget, what is that? Uh, silver is redemption. Redemption, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, that's fine. And the, we're going to talk more about the fact that as people's heart moved them, because that really is a remarkable thing here. You're still on verse 4? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so in verse 5, when it talks about uh, whoever is of a willing heart, so the word uh, Nadiv, it means generous or noble. 
So I always have liked this verse because it tells us how God collects. He's not demanding anything from anyone. These are people that are willing to give. Mm-hmm. If you've got a willing heart to give, give. Do you think there was probably some people that were a little stingy with the money and didn't mm-hmm. give? Mm-hmm. I bet there was. I bet there was. So, huh? The word is nadiv. Nadiv. Willing. Yeah, so I, I've, I wanted to have this discussion, although I was going to wait just a little bit, but that's okay. The point is, is that God could have gone any of three ways here. He could have said, okay, I'm going to levy a tax, an income tax, a worth tax. We're going, to, we're going to calculate everybody's wealth, and we're going to take 10% of everybody's wealth, and that's what we're going to use. He could also have, uh, um, well, let's see, the tax was one. He could have just demanded it. He says, give it all to me, and I'll give you back you know, what I want you to have. Um, but to, to let people give what they wanted to give is very symptom, or very, to me, very, I guess the word's emblematic, of the way he wants us to approach him. You know, he doesn't, he's not, he's not going to make you have a relationship with him. You have to want it. And that's what this is. You know, he's, you don't, if you don't want to have a relationship with God, you don't have to. But if you understand who he is and, you know, what he's done for us and how much of your life he affects, then you're going to want to do this. And so working, and also it also shows he can work in people's hearts, you know. Joe. Okay, uh, gold, silver, and brass, those are the three. The gold is almost like uh, in uh, Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the head of gold, yep. silver, and brass. Yep. And so, uh, you know, gold is more uh, precious than silver. Silver is more precious than brass. Yeah. But there's a connection that God uses the three uh, well, precious metals yeah. for now, typically, gold is, uh, is symbolic of God's presence. That's, as you say, that's the top of the heap, gold, okay? The next one down is silver, and silver is typically symbolic of redemption. And the third is brass or bronze, and that's symbolic of judgment. You know, that's why the, that's why the altar, the altar burnt offering is bronze. And he, that, you know, so, so it's bronze, silver, and gold. And then the... White linen. What do you suppose white linen is symbolic of? This one's not hard. Purity. Yeah, cleanliness and purity, righteousness. How about the scarlet yarn? This one's not hard either. Scarlet. Blood. Blood. Yeah. Uh, purple. Can we know what purple's symbolic of? Royalty. Royalty. Yep. And then blue. Blue kind of is a little tricky, I guess. Go ahead. It's heaven. And then the one that I think is also interesting, a lot of this stuff was built out of acacia wood. Now, what, what do you suppose, you know, acacia, the acacia tree is just an ugly-looking thorn tree that grows out in the middle of the desert. I don't know how they could ever make these big, huge planks out of it that they did, but um, acacia wood, what do you think that might be symbolic of? Yeah, humanity. It's basically, you know, it grows, it rots, it, it dies, you know, that, that's, that's it. And so you'll notice that most of the important objects are acacia wood covered with gold. So that's mankind covered with God's presence, if you will. So all of this, you know, this and 25 cents will buy you a cup of coffee kind of a deal. But it's interesting because it's, it's, uh, it's consistent throughout Scripture. So, and people always want to know, what's the, 
different symbolism of these things. Okay, let's see. Um, let me wait for a few more minutes because there's a, something that's going to happen in a minute in terms of this giving, you know, the people being moved in their heart to give stuff. You, those of you that have read it, you already know that, but let's wait till we get there and then we'll come back to that subject. Um, let me read on if that's okay. I'm going to start in verse 20. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to Yahweh for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to Yahweh. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins dyed red, or hides of sea cows, brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to Yahweh, and everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to Yahweh freewill offerings for all the work uh, that Yahweh, through Moses, had commanded them to do. So, a couple questions come up here. Where do you suppose they got all this stuff? Well, it isn't, it isn't just that. It seems to me they got a lot of this stuff because when they left, they spoiled the Egyptians, I think it says yeah. in the King James. Yes. Yeah. They got, you know, remember. I mean, how many things, how many pieces of emerald do you need to put on the, the breastplate? You got, <laughs> you got six million people. Yep. I mean, I'm not saying everyone has something, have something like that to give, but. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. The um, there's twice it, it talks about how uh, the Israelites, as you say, spoiled the Egyptians. Uh, the first the first place that was told of is when Moses was talking to uh, uh, God at the burning bush. You know, when he was turn, talking to God at the burning bush, and and God told him, "You're to go back and get my people and bring them out of Egypt. And when you bring them out of Egypt, you'll bring with them. They'll you'll bring." goods, silver and gold and riches that the Egyptians will give you. And then, of course, at Passover, when they did it, they got that too. They, they, God said He made each of, the, each of their neighbors inclined to give them uh, good things and told the people, ask for it, you know, ask for, ask for stuff. And so they, they took a bunch of the riches of Egypt with them when they left. So... That's, that particular aspect has been added to it a couple times. Let's see, where was I going with some of that? Oh, you'll notice that I, 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 little things you catch sometimes. You know, this is why you go through it more than once. Verse 27 says, The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. So, that's indif- for whatever reason, I guess, let's see, how can I put this? The fact that it goes to say the leaders brought this, would indicate it was the leaders that had them. I mean, you know, the, 
the poor guy that was the stable worker didn't evidently have the onyx stones and the gems, but the leaders did, and they brought them. So I guess it's one of these kind of cases everybody brought out of what he had, regardless of who they were and how much they had. The leaders set the example of Good the... Good point. Yep, yep. So if you see, if you... Uh, yeah, if. If the master of the household that you happen to work in, uh, you know, for example, would donate a talent of gold, talent of gold is 75 pounds, 75 pounds of gold, it might incline you to be a little generous too, right? Yeah. Skip ahead a little bit. What are the gemstones used for? They're primarily used in well, two places. They're used in the breast piece of the, that the priest war. And what do and they represent? What do they represent? They represent the tribes. Right. The leaders gave them, you know, yep. and maybe the, maybe the stones that each tribe gave them was assigned to them yep. on the breastplate. I bet plate. that's right. I bet that's right. We're going to have a list of all of them here before we're done. Well, any other thoughts about them? Okay. Well, Okay, I'm going to do one more second. I'll quit reading in a bit, but I'm having fun. So I'm going to read from verse 30 uh, through verse 1 of, of chapter 36. So here goes, verse 30. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, Yahweh has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic design for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given him both, both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, and embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers all of them master craftsmen and designers. So Bezalel, Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom God would, Yod, to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as Yahweh has commanded. Mark. Two things. I think I said this last year when we were here. My my Hebrew says here Ben Hur, so son of Hur, yeah, Ben Hur, yeah. yeah, son of Hur. Mm -hmm. um, but it uh, is interesting here. It says he's filled him with the Spirit. Well, this sure sounds charismatic, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here we have the the infilling of the Holy Spirit to get things done. Yep. And you know, you would ask most people, they would say, "Well, that all happened and started in Acts chapter two. But yep. not clearly, so. that's not what not happened. So, yeah. Uh, the the Hebrew is Betzalil. Betzalil, yeah. And it is uh, in the shadow of or protection of El. Ah, I didn't know what that meant. That's good. Okay. I just want to point out, I think it's interesting in verse, uh, I think it's 22, the things they were giving. One of the things they gave were signet rings. Yeah. And that word, it's used in other places in the scriptures, but... That word, second here. Rings and ornaments, yeah. Oh, I 
Um, that same word is used for the rings on the, uh, the ark and for the other um, articles, the word ring, the signet ring, the word for signet ring. It's used on, in a lot of places on the tabernacle. Huh. The poles and yep. everything, these rings, yep. and that word signified royal authority. Okay. I said that was interesting. That is interesting, especially that's all, like you say, it's all over the tabernacle. Yeah. Yeah. Another awesome part is the, the skill that was blessed to be able to carry these things out. Which, yep. Which, you know, in modern day, uh, we can't even make the menorah or the lampstand yep. in the way that they crafted it because the gold always buckles under its own weight. So yep. without that divinely inspired craftsmanship. Yep. You know, it's, but that, that, that's interesting that you're talking about that because one of the things I found interesting is, you know, Bezalel and Aholiab are singled out as the uh, God-inspired people that did this. But it's, you'll notice it, it says that they also had the ability to teach others in verse 34. And, and then it also goes on to say, um, He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of works as craftsmen, designers, embroiders, and purple. All of them master craftsmen and designers... So Bezalel, Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom Yahweh had given skill and ability to know. So in other words, it wasn't just these two guys. They had their, I think their contribution was basically program management because there was a bunch of people that were involved in this. You know, and, and you know when you look at it, we're gonna, that's why I got some of the pictures up there. there there's enough work going on here that it would be way, it'd be overwhelming for two guys, right? This, this requires a lot of people. And so their main job was to, I guess, probably be in constant contact with Moses, who had the, the vision, if you will, and to make sure that things were being done to the best of their ability in terms of uh, how, how. But lots of people did this. Joe. Oh, John, sorry. So I looked up her, like he's in Ben Hur, as Mark mm -hmm. was saying. It's not spelled with a hey, it's spelled with a het. Oh, her. So it's her or her. Okay. <laughs> and I guess this is a weird one. The translation they give here is whole, H O L E. That could be. Now, do Why? you know who that guy was? Uh, was he the guy that uh, played uh, Moses? No, Charlton Heston. No, that's not what I meant. I believe if you go back and look it up, he no, it was. Oh, it says here, it's. Uh, Commissioned officer for Solomon in Mount Ephraim? No, no, that, that's several generations later. He was Miriam's husband. He was Moses' brother-in-law. I'm pretty sure that's right. You guys can go it check me. doesn't say it here, but it might yeah. be. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. It wasn't just one person doing it. It was a community project. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Now, you know, that, as I said, I love to think about stuff like this because um, not everyone could have the most important jobs. You know what I mean? Um, the one I like best, we're going to get to it here in a while, is they, um, they had these silver, in most cases, sockets that all these, these slats, these big planks stuck into. And these silver sockets, I forgot how much they weighed. Oh, they were a talent. 
So it was 75 pounds, 75 pound socket that these guys had to carry around. And they, they must, oh, I bet they had several hundred of them. Um, and what a boring job it would be to make those sockets, if you ask me. That'd be a pretty boring job. But now obviously, people, you know, people were happy to make the sockets. I don't know who made the sockets, but I guess what I'm getting at is, is they didn't have any of this, uh, you know, I don't want that job. I want this job over here. Who said you could do that? I bet I could do that better than you could do that. You know, that somehow or another, boy, I'd love to know how, God had this all arranged. It must have been Bezalel and Oholiab that, you know, okay, you guys are good at this. You go over and do that and, you know, don't fight. <laughs> Let's do all of this stuff in, a, in an, uh, an orderly and um, disciplined fashion, if you will. Do you think that's a, I don't know, maybe there's nothing to that, but it kind of, you know, to me, it wouldn't be a simple job to do this, to, to get, bring this all together into, you know, from from Moses' instruction to reality. I just uh, was noting something here that in uh, verse 31, uh, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manners of workmanship and to devise cunning works to work, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in a cutting of stone to set them and in a carving of wood to make any manner of cunning work. And he has put in his heart that he may teach. Yes. So yes. evidently he was teaching others to do all yes. these skills. I tried to say that earlier. Yeah, that not only did they have the ability, but they could teach. And they did. So since he mentioned it, the three things, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, are three of the seven spirits mentioned in Isaiah that are the spirits of God. Okay. And so here is truly, he's been filled with three of those. And if you go on down to uh, verse 25, it says, he has filled him with, my uh, version says skill, but it's the same word, uh, chokmat, that's used for wisdom up in verse uh, 31. Hmm. Okay. So it's that same word for wisdom. So here, the idea of wisdom is skill. You've, you've been skilled. And I think that's why God says in the word, as, as we read his word, we are becoming wiser and wiser. We're being skilled at what God has taught and the way God, you know, his government, his, the way he does things. Yeah. That's, that's good. One of the things that I've always, this again, personal, that I've always ended up knowing is, or believing is that knowledge is a great thing, but skill is the ability to apply knowledge. And so uh, knowing stuff is not really enough because if you don't know how to apply it or better yet, when to apply it, um, then you're really, sometimes you're just counterproductive. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's good. Okay, let me, I'll finish this last little part and then I'll quit and we can get other people to read. Um, so starting in verse 2 there of chapter 36. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiav and every skilled person to whom Yahweh had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. Who was willing to come and do the work. 
They received from Moses all the offerings that the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the craftsmen, all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work of, on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work that Yahweh has commanded to be done. And then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had, what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. So that was where I was going to wait till this moved in people's heart. Not only did were people moved to contribute, they were moved to over-contribute. And Moses had to say, enough already, right? You got, we got, the barns are overflowing. Mark. So uh, you'll like this word sufficient. It's the word that we're going to be using on Thursday. It's comes from Dayenu. It's day. It's sufficient. Enough. It would have been enough. 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 That's good. Yeah, I like Dayenu. that. Yeah. Your license plate. My license plate. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Thanks. Okay, so now we got things ready. So this is when it gets a little bit repetitive. So this, this is when I quit reading, get you guys to read. But we'll go through each of these things, and we'll talk about it. I, I've got the pictures back up so we can remind ourselves what, uh, what at least various different artists thought things looked like, and we can talk about how they were built. Also, I should point out that, um, well, there's over there in the little um, case over here, the glass case, is a, a nice model that Ralphie built of, uh, of the way the tabernacle looked. So if you have time and you want to look at that, <clears throat> feel free to do so. But anyway, are there any other questions or thoughts about where we're at so far? <coughs> you said something a minute ago about there could be people not satisfied with what tasks they had been given or assigned. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you think working on this project in any capacity would have been Yep. Just mind-boggling? Yep. I remember... And it wouldn't matter what you were doing. I know. This is a... This is a you'll, you'll see it's kind of a bleakly related thing. Whatever... The best job I ever had was when I went to work for HP. And I was out in the field, and they gave me a company car. And I got to drive around in this company car for work, but then I got to take it home, and, you know, it was my car. I really liked that. And one day, we were out to lunch, which HP was also paying for, and we were griping. I'd gotten a new company car, and it was kind of a dog. You know, it had this puny little six-cylinder engine in it. It wasn't very peppy, and I didn't like it very much. And, and some old guy, he just, you know, co-worker, looked me right in the face, and he says, boy, it takes some guts to gripe about a free car. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, like you say, just the privilege of working on such a job. If you complain about it, man. <laughs> yep. Pat. Something that's been going through my mind a lot lately is how easy it is to volunteer to do what is easy for me to do or I like to do mm -hmm. or I have the materials to do. Much easier than being obedient and do what I'm told. Yeah. And I think this is an early um, teaching on that very fact that mm -hmm. we need to give what he wants, not what we want to give. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Uh, there's... Um 
Now, I don't want to go too far with this because we could spend a lot of time on this one, but I struggle with that a little bit because I've, uh, I don't know, I think I have a pretty good understanding of what my gifts are, but in understanding what they are, I also understand what they aren't, you know, which ones I'm not good at. And whenever I'm asked to do some of the stuff that I'm not particularly good at, I have a hard time with it. I mean, and it's not so much that I'm, uh, I like to think, it's not so much that I'm being rebellious as it is I'm just not very good at it, and it's difficult for me. So I see both sides of that issue is all I'm really trying to say. I think, I think he asks us to do what he knows we can and will yep. do. Yep. So I don't think he's, you probably get asked by human beings to yeah. do things that you're not good but at. Not, yeah, you're right. And you have to learn to say no to those. But, <laughs> but that's but, a good point. When I, he asks, I have to learn that if it's him asking, then he has a reason. And he and, will also equip you yep, and yep. give you the materials well, I to agree do with it that. with. Yep, I agree with that. And, you know, we're all works in progress, right? Maybe someday the stuff I'm not very good at, I will be. Who knows? Okay. Um, we're at verse 8 in chapter 36. Um, this is, like I say, a little bit tedious, but let's do it anyway. Uh, and read through the first night, or from 8 to 19. Does somebody want to read from 8 to 19? Then all the wise-hearted ones among them who worked on the dwelling place made ten curtains woven of fine linen and blue and purple and scarlet material. They made them with carabim, the work of a skilled workman. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits. The length of each curtain, four cubits, or the width, I'm sorry, the width of each curtain, four cubits, all the curtains having one measure. And he joined five curtains, one to another, and the other five curtains he joined one to another, and he made loops of blue on the edge of the end curtain of one set, the same he did on the edge of the end curtain of the other set. Fifty loops he made on one curtain, and fifty loops he made on the edge of the end curtain of the second set. The loops held one curtain to another, and he made fifty hooks of gold, and joined the curtains to each other with a with the hooks, and the dwelling place became one. And he made curtains of gold, hair for the tent over the dwelling place. He made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits, and the width of each curtain, four cubits. The 11 curtains having one measure. How far am I reading? Down, down to verse 19. Thank you. And he joined five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And he made 50 loops on the edge of the end curtain on one set and 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain of the second set and he made 50 bronze hooks to join the tent to be one and he made a covering for the tent of ram skin dyed red and a covering of fine leather above that okay this is a good this i figured we go back and review this a little bit you know the first he's he's describing the way this thing looked this tent looked from the inside out so from the inside, the first thing that, that you saw was this uh, um, thing made of linen with red, purple, and what was the other color? Blue, yarn, and gold. And, and it, was, it was the smallest of the bunch. It was made in strips and ten strips and five strips were joined together, then five strips were joined together, then they were joined together in the middle. 
and that hung over, and you, that you could see from the inside. You could certainly see the, the ceiling, if you will. Um, so that was a, a beautiful piece of art, if you will. That was something that was very attractive. Then the next thing, he talks about these uh, curtains made of goat hair. Now, there are 11 of those, and if you notice, they're a little bit bigger. So that's the, the second layer out, the, the goat hair. And that, that stuff is the, uh, um, oh, I don't know, I'll call it the insulation layer. That's the, the, the layer of the tent that probably keeps the heat out, if you will. And then on top of that was the ram skin dyed red, I think. And then finally was this um, uh, hides of sea cows. So that was the kind of the, the, the lightweight rain, rain covering. So there was four layers to this thing, and you can see them there. Um, and, of course, here, here's what it looked like in the actual model or the actual tabernacle. We know that's what that looked like, right? No, no. They, they, they're the, the ones that were woven and embroidered, those were the first layer. Now over those went another layer of the different curtains, and then over those with another layer. But yeah, they, were, they were laid on top of each other, but each, each one of these panels that was made, they went to a lot of trouble to talk about how they had little, little loops that were put together, and you know, they, they made, as a matter of fact, one of the things I always like to point out is verse 13. They made 50 gold clasps and used them to fasten the two sets of curtains together so that the tabernacle became one unit. So that's, again, the idea there is the whole thing became uh, a unit, the way we're supposed to be. Go ahead. One thing I find amazing about it is in all of this, they were requested to make things they had never seen. Yeah. And so the cherubims in the curtains... In their own knowledge, they had no idea what to make. No. As a matter of fact, I can imagine that Moses must have sat down with Bezalel and or Oholiab and told them what this thing needed to look like. Because they described it, but not in the detail that we would require. Not to, not no. to reproduce it. it no, hadn't. no. And so they would probably, there was probably a fair amount of trial and error where they'd, they'd come up with something and he'd say, well, it didn't look quite like that. It needs to be, you know, it needs to be a little longer here, a little shorter there. So, yeah, I'm sure there's something to that. On the other hand, I bet there's a fair amount of artistic license that could be taken in some of this because it was, it was abstract. It wasn't supposed to be the representation of a, of a living being on any of this stuff, right? Well, not a living being in nature. Yeah. Mike? Oh, can I read something I found one time on yes. uh, this is from uh, the website Hebrew for Christians. Okay. And it's oh, I about know that the website. tabernacle. It says the word vav, interestingly, and it spells bav vav. How do you spell it? Vav vav. Vav. The word itself is used in uh, Exodus. It was used here, but it was used also in Exodus 27 to refer to the hooks of silver fastened to posts called Amudim, that were used to the curtain, Uriah, that encloses the tabernacle. Just as the tabernacle was the habitation of God in the wilderness, so the Torah is the habitation of his word today. The Torah scroll is constructed in the manner of the tabernacle. Each parchment sheet of a scroll is called a Uriah for the curtain, roughly 50 Uriot per scroll, and each column of text, an Amud, 
name for the post. Since each curtain was fastened to its post by a silver hook, Vav, each column of text begins with a letter Vav, thereby hooking the text through the parchment. Wow, B. I didn't know that. That is very interesting. Huh. Ford. Uh, I just wanted to point out that previously, when Moses was on the mountain, Yahweh showed him a pattern uh -huh. or a picture of what it looked like in heaven and told him, when you get finished building this thing, it needs to look like this. Yeah. So he saw what yeah. it needed to look like. He was the supervisor. He was watching over them, and he could have just drawn them sketches or whatever they needed to know. Yeah. But, but they had to know what they had to end up with. Oh, yeah, they did. They did. I, I'm sure they did. So and he, I, they did have a picture. Yeah. He, he got, well. He, gave him a, he showed them what uh, it was. Okay. I find it difficult to believe that they could have done this without a picture. I w I'll give you that. But there's nowhere where it says they had one. I wonder if... No, yeah. no. I, God showed it to Moses, but it didn't. Said Moses never. It never says Moses drew it. Now I'm not making a big deal out of I, this. Well, like I said, don't, I tell you what. This goes back to. I, I got to quit doing this. But I had this boss once. He was a terrible guy. Never did like him. And he used to tell this story about you know when I want you to do something, he, he called it get me a rock. He'd say go get me a rock, and you know. Your first question is going to be, well, what kind of rock? What, what, is it big, little, smooth, rough? What kind of rock? Well, I don't know. Go give me a rock, and I'll tell you. And so he bring you back a rock, and he said, no, 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 that's not the right rock. It needs to be, you know. And so the point being, I'm only saying this because it's possible. The point being is you have to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth till you finally figured out what he wanted, and what he basically is, has done is he didn't know what he wanted. That's why I didn't like the guy. But I guess my point is, is I know that you could do this. You know, Moses could sit there and describe this thing. He could use words. Well, you know, you know an eagle? You know what an eagle kind of looks like? You know, it needs to have those kind of wings. He could have described it. And then Bezalel and Oholiab could have done something. And they could have said, he could have said, no, it wasn't quite like that. It needs, you know, all I'm trying to say is it doesn't say that he actually did a drawing. Well, I wolf, think. Huh? Okay, thanks. Since <laughs> Yahweh filled Betzalel Betzal and Ohoalai with these, uh, you know, that he anointed them with this wisdom, ah. that he might have filled them in, you know, that they might have got a picture in their mind yep. of what yep. was required. So, yep. well, I agree. I agree. Let's let me go back up here. This is the primary, this is the primary guy. I mean, these things here, those don't look like anything I've ever seen, right? Um, and so I find it difficult to believe that they could have fashioned that without seeing some sort of a, a drawing or a diagram from Moses. Yeah. Is that what you're saying, Ward? Yeah, I agree. Is it popping again? Well, it moves. I'm innocent. Okay, there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's a very good point that God could have endowed them with a, you know, with a vision uh, the, of, of more or less what Moses saw or exactly what Moses saw. Yeah, eh, that's a good point. 
I don't want to go too far with my bring me a rock story anyway. Well, uh, mankind then draw up the design. God drew up the design. He was a project manager. <laughs> and he told uh, uh, Moses what to do, just like he told Noah what to do when yeah. Noah built the ark. So God is the, has all the blueprints, all the other stuff, yeah. and uh, conveys it to man. Hey, this is what I want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've often thought as we read all this, uh, this detailed, intricate stuff, boy, a drawing would be very, very helpful. But heck, the ability to, to do drawings and reproduce them didn't even exist, you know? Yeah. Um, it, was there two people doing this? In, in terms of, there's more than two people. I mean, drawing it, figuring out what they wanted? The two. Well, it says that the impression I get, um, Bezalel was kind of the project manager, and Oholiav was his right-hand guy, although Bezalel was the metallurgist and Oholiav was something else. He was more the artisan. But then there was a whole bunch of people that worked for them. Is that what you meant? Well, I just have a crazy thought. What if they both said, all right, here's what I think it is. I'm going to go over here and figure it out. And this guy goes here, well, here's what I think it is. And if they had the same thing, that's it. That, that's that's got to be what it is. Yep. Excuse me. I got carried away. Yep. That'd be very good. That would work for me. It was this candle thing. But luckily, yeah, but it landed exactly the way it was supposed to. It doesn't really, but there we are. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. Okay, let's, let's move on. <laughs> um, okay, so we got the covering, the tent. Would someone like to read from verse uh, 20 through the end of chapter 36? It's not too much. Right here. 20 to the end? Yeah. And he made boards of the tabernacle of shittim wood standing up, this length of the board was 10 cubits, and the breadth of a board, one cubit and a half. And one board had two tenons, equally distant one from another. Thus did he make for all the boards of the tabernacle. And he made boards of the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south, for the south side southward, and 40 sockets of silver he made under the 20 boards. Two sockets under one board for uh, his two tenons and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And for the other side of the tabernacle, which is toward the north corner, he made 20 boards. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. And for the sides of the tabernacle westward, he made six boards. And two boards made he for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides. And there were coupled beneath and coupled together at the head, therefore, to one ring. Thus he did both of them in both corners. And there were eight boards, and their sockets were 16 sockets of silver under every board, two sockets. 31. And he made boards of steam wood, five for the boards and of the one side of the tabernacle, and five boards for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle for the sides westward. 
and he made the middle bar to shoot through the boards from one to end to the other. And he overlaid the boards with gold and made their rings of gold to be places for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. And he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet, fine twine linen, with cherubim made he, uh, made he it of a cunning work. And he made thereunto four pillars of shatim wood, and overlaid them with gold, and their hooks were of gold, and he cast for them four sockets of silver. And he made a hanging of the tabernacle door of the floor, and a purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of needlework, and the five pillars of it with their hooks. And he overlaid their capitors and their fillets with gold. Okay. But their five sockets were of brass. Okay, that's uh, I was I, that you know that's that'll put you to sleep, right? But when you really get to looking at, it, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say <clears throat> some interesting things here about. Um, so it gives you uh, a couple of words. It tells you north, it tells you south, and it tells you west. I'm sure you know what the word for south is. Negev. Uh huh. Yeah. Do you know what the word for west is? No. It's yam, sea. Yam, yam, sea. sea. Okay, makes sense. The point is, if if the direction to the sea was west then, some claim that the the things have shifted and it used to, what used to be east was has changed and has done that several times. What's well, clearly, the sea is still west today from, from yep. this spot. So it hasn't changed from this point anyway, at least that we know. Yep, that's interesting. That's good. One of the things you can get once you kind of dissect this enough is these posts had tenons. You know, tenons are little projections that stick down out of the post. And these sockets, I went to a lot of trouble to talk about these sockets. And the sockets are made for, made of silver, I think it said, 40 of them. And they're, if I get my little thing here, they're, they're on the ground. And the way they worked was each board had two tenons. And so you could put a socket down and you could stick uh, a tenon from one board in, in this one socket and a tenon from the other board in a socket. And then you'd move over here and the second tenon from that board would go in a socket and the tenon from the next board would go in the socket. And so you'd have these sockets down there and the boards, the tenons would fit into the, to the sockets. Well, that's cool. The, the sockets, and if you laid the sockets on the ground nice and flat, the boards would be all the, the same height. But they'd sit there and wobble around because the tenons, you know, they're, they're not strong enough to hold a big old board upright. And so that's what these, uh, these crossbars are. And you can see the crossbars here. Um, there's five of them, one, two, three, four, and there's a fifth one that runs in the middle of the whole thing that you don't see. And Ralphie did a good job on those on his little model. He's got, he's got these crossbars that, that go across, you know, horizontally or across the wall. And so they hold all of these boards so they don't flop around. So you end up with a nice solid wall. And then it goes on to talk in great detail about the corner pieces back here. They're doubled, these corner pieces. So uh, the thing is a very sturdy structure when you're done. It's three-walled. You know, because this, this front wall is basically made for access, and that's where they've got this curtain 
they got two curtains. They've got this curtain here, and they've got this curtain here. This curtain is held up by four pillars, and this curtain is held up by five pillars. Joe. Oh, I'm sorry, gonna, Mark. No, I was just going to say, um, you're saying corner, but the word corner is not in the text. Okay. What is the word? <clears throat> well, it just says <clears throat> side. Okay. And the Hebrew word for side um, means rib. Rib. Okay. Kind of like what was taken out of Adam. Yep, yep, yep. Which that is makes kind sense. of interesting. That's so. very good. So at my verse 29 says, at these two corners. But I could believe that that's something they dreamed up. On the other hand, I've always been um, impressed with the fact that they could come up with, you know, <laughs> uh, an English language description of something that you could actually follow given the fact that it wasn't originally written in English and that the description itself is 3,500 years old, that you could, you could really read this thing, and given that you'd study it enough and had the definition of the words pretty much down, you could, uh, you could build it. Yeah. Mark, award. Uh, question. I just want to clarify something. So we talked about how they probably didn't have pictures. Yeah, well, didn't do they may have. I'm, I'm rethinking but that. But my question is, did... We get through some archaeological dig or something, uh, recovers a picture of the tabernacle? I don't think so. No? I, I don't Well, I mean, I'm not so. sure how you can definitively say that this is what it looked like. You can't. If we didn't get a picture. You, you can't. And that's even more so. That's so that's not what it necessarily looked no. like. That's just a No. And, and, and it's even more so on terms of the ark and those things, right? Because, right. uh, Yeah. I wish it were, you know, like I say, I always like to show my picture of the Tower of Babel and say that's yeah, the actual I mean, figure. like our ribs aren't mashed up against each other. No. Ribs typically, well, a tent typically okay. doesn't have the tent poles that's mashed fair point. up against and As a matter of fact, other. this next picture shows that. It doesn't. See, this, this is the way these guys thought it was built, was so that right. these, uh, they, were, they were done that way. And that, that would also work with the verbal description. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, so it could that, be that way. It, I, it's, I still have difficulty seeing how there's a tent. It looks like a house. As a matter of fact, it looks like a sauna. Because if you... <laughs> it's going to be hot. Their, yeah. their weather was the same as ours. Yeah. So in the summer, with that design, with the layers over the top... Not very I mean, ventilated. that's a sauna. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about mold and bacteria growing in between those layers. I don't see why you would design something like that in the desert. I would be to me a tent would be like we used to have when I was young pup tents, which of course they're small ones, but there's bigger ones where you yeah. have the ribs coming up and you make a big dome shape. Yeah, and they're they're far apart and you have a single layer of fabric mm -hmm. going up. I mean instead of and plus you would connect the sheets end to end instead of side by side like they do in this picture, which doesn't even follow the instructions because you end up with ends not not attached like it's so supposed to be. Which ones are you talking about? The way the fabric is laid on top of each other. Up here? All right, yeah. Well, no, it and talks about all put, four of those separate layers. Yeah, but the way, I don't want to go into in detail, but okay. just go through the instructions. The way the rings are attached in this setup, you end up with, you end up with the unconnected edges that don't work according to the instructions. All right. I think they were the ring. The rings were attached on the longer sides. If you had a long rectangle, it would be on the long ends, and they would have been connected edgewise, and it would have 
gone around and you had another layer and another layer, that's the way you would have Ralph ended up with a giant it. pup tent, uh -huh. a giant dome tent with ribs, with a single layer of fabric at each level, and you would have had a three-story tall pup tent, which would have been way more impressive. Okay. I mean, it's something that would have shown Yahweh is unique, different yeah. from all the other tribes, capable of building something far more sophisticated than anybody else could do. And on top of that, it didn't look like Ramesses II war tent, which is what this is an exact duplicate of. Yeah. I just... Okay. These uh, guys were mather, uh, mathematicians, and they were also uh, skilled in geometry and so on and so forth. Uh, the other uh, slide before this one here, can you go back to that? You bet. Okay, that one down in the lower left, the braces, you had to have a good, strong, sturdy foundation with the, the boards. Uh-huh. Because you had all the weight, you had to have a, all the different, like, two-by-fours, you know, yeah. to join there. Uh, because of all the weight of the uh, material on top there, plus you had the wind and everything else in the desert to blow. Yep. So everything had to be anchored down into yep. the ground. Yep. Now, um, these bases down there, there were, I think, what, 40 on a side or something like that. Um, each one of those bases was 75 pounds of silver. So 75 pounds of silver, and I'm sure it says, I think it was a cubit wide. So they, that was 75 pounds of silver that had slots in them. That, and you could lay those. I'm sure they went to a lot of trouble to lay those exactly right so that everything would be on a firm foundation. And, and as you see, they've got... Uh, Tons of uh, tent pegs and stuff tying the whole thing down so that the wind won't blow it away. But, yeah, you know, yes. Another observation is how the building is, the building is like this because of the wind. It's almost like a car with a the wind scoop and everything, how the wind goes over the building mm -hmm. instead of the a straight frontal. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's a good point. All right. That's probably the worst of it here. Chapter 37. Somebody want to read the first nine verses of chapter 37. All right. And Betzalel made the ark of acacia wood two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. And, the over, <clears throat> and he overlaid it with clean gold inside and out and made a molding of gold all around it. And he cast four rings of gold for it. And it's four feet, two rings on <clears throat> its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood and 
overlaid them with gold, and he put the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to lift the ark, and he made a lid of atonement of clean gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And he made two cherubim of beaten gold, and he made them from the two ends of the lid of atonement. One cherubim at one end <clears throat> on his side, and the other cherubim at the other end on that side. He made the cherubim from the lid of the atonement from the two ends. And the cherubim spread their wings above the covered lid of atonement with their wings, their faces towards each other, and the faces of the cherubim were turned toward the lid of atonement. Okay, that's good. So, of all of these, the, you know, when I did this, I just went out and found pictures on the internet and copied them. And my point in doing that was saying, nobody knows what this thing really looked like, but here are four different examples. Now, one of the things it says in, in the version you read, I think, in my version, it talks about the rings are on the feet. So, the rings that have the poles to carry it are down low, whereas this one shows them up high. This one shows them up high. So, I don't know. And this one, um, the cherubim are supposed to be one on each end. They're supposed to be facing each other with their wings up over their head. So, that one, to me, seems to be most reasonable from the verbal description. But, maybe not. The, um, and, and that piece right here, that whole thing, is one piece. And it said, who built that? says, Bezalel built that. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. So the whole thing is wood, except for the lid, and the bottom part down here uh, is gold covered. But the lid itself was solid gold. Yes? Now, did you say it has to be covered, uh, had to be carried above the head? No. How no. did you say it was to be carried? Well, these poles are for carrying. I know that, okay. but you have you have two different. You have a uh, one on the left there. You have your poles higher, where yep. your main body of the uh, the uh, other is below. Yep. And this one here, you have the poles lower. Yep. With the main body well, higher. But what the text says, it says he cast. I'm reading in verse three. He cast four gold rings for it and fastened them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. That's what mine says. Okay, but so, it doesn't say how it was carried. It just says it was carried. What do you mean how it was carried? Two, well, they, you it, get a guy here. If, if you, it, if it's you, either two guys or four guys. Okay, four guys, one on each side, like a casket. Yeah. And uh, also, if four guys were carrying uh, the one on the left, uh, they would have it under their shoulders, where the one on the right, I think, would be having it up in the air. It could be. Could be. And uh, I was thinking about uh, uh, God, uh, this one guy uh, touched the ark yep. and uh, God wiped, uh, he died, you know, Uzzah. I killed yep. him. Yep. And I was wondering if that's uh, any connection to the two, how it was carried or whatever. Well, I'm sure it is. You know, when this, that's why I say nobody knows what this looked like, because when this was outside of the tabernacle, it was covered. 
It was covered with a, a big woven fabric thing. So it never really, it never really was on display anywhere. I side with the likelihood of them being attached to the feet because it's more functional for carrying, especially over diverse terrain. If yeah. it sagged below the feet by any means, you could easily snag it on a rock or a hill at a steep incline, but by having it yep. up higher, you're preventing any of that. Yeah, yeah. I could go both ways on that, and I hear you. But like I say, this, uh, the, nobody really knows anyway. I wish we did. All right, we got just a little more to go. We might as well do another couple here. Would someone like to read verse 10 through 16? I can read it. It's pretty simple. They made the table of acacia wood two cubits long and a cubit wide and a cubit and a half high. And then they overlaid it with pure gold and made a gold molding around it. They also made around it a rim a hand breadth wide and put a gold molding on the rim. They cast four gold rings for the table and fastened them to the four corners where the four legs were. The rings were put close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. The poles for carrying the table were made of acacia wood and were overlaid with gold and they made they were made from pure gold and I'm sorry and they made from pure gold the articles for the table. It's plates and dishes, bowls and pitchers for the pouring out of the drink offerings. So here's what that might have looked like. Here you can see the poles here on the side and the, the border around it. Here's another view. This is a, a more Danish modern approach. So anyway, again, nobody knows exactly what it looked like, but could have been any of those. Any comment about that? Do you remember? Yeah, go ahead. Going back to the arc temporarily, just to explain the base standpoint and positioning of the poles, uh, because of the weight distribution, that would make more sense. Which one? For, for the arc with it being um, on the leg. This, this one? No, no. This one? That one. Yeah. But when you go to the table... Uh, the table, it would make more sense to have it towards the upper portion of the table because that's where the weight is. Yeah. And so it would, you know, if you put them on the bottom, it's going to be top-heavy and easily pull yeah. and carrying. Yeah. So. I hear you. That's a good point. Okay. I will read the last one since I need to do my fair share of this. Actually, I think I'll finish the chapter, and then we can finish the chapter. Starting in verse 17, they made the lampstand of pure gold, hammered it out, base and shaft. Its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms were of one piece with it. Six branches extended from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms were on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand were four cups, shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud was under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, and a second bun, bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and the branches were all one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. They made its seven lamps, 
as well as its wick trimmers and trays of pure gold. They made the lampstand and all its accessories from one talent of pure gold. So, I think it's hard to say what that one looked like. This one here seems to make the most sense to me. Although this one, if you interpret the different uh, buds, I think this might might be more accurate. I'm not sure. I got lost in all of that. <clears throat> Any thoughts? I don't have much to say about that myself. So I'll finish the chapter because it's a good thing to be done with it. There's only one piece left. So starting in verse 25, they made the altar of incense out of acacia wood. It was square, a cubit long and a cubit wide and two cubits high, its horns of one piece with it. They overlaid the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold, and they made a gold molding around it, and they made two rings below the molding, two on opposite sides to hold the poles used to carry it. They made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. They also made the gold anointing oil, I'm sorry, they made the sacred anointing oil and the pure fragrant incense, the work of a perfumer. So let's see. That's what that would have looked like. Um, I kind of think it might have looked like this, but might have looked like that. <clears throat> here's where it sat was, let's see, if I back up here. The, um, <coughs> the entrance was on the east. You went inside. On your right was the table of showbread. On your left was the menorah. And there was this altar of incense. And the uh, ark was behind this second curtain. <coughs> Okay, thus endeth chapter 37. Any, uh, any thoughts about that? It's a little bit tedious because we've been here before, but it doesn't hurt to look at it again. Next week, we can uh, probably finish this up and move on to Leviticus. We always get into some interesting discussions. So, okay, I'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for this group of people that was, uh, was happy to discuss your word. Um, thank you for these uh, details that we sometimes find uh, kind of complicated and, and a little bit uh, confusing. But I know they're there for a reason, and we just want to study your word so that we can understand you better, understand that you really are a God of order, and uh, just be amazed at, uh, at the way you've dealt with your people and the way you deal with us every day. I ask that you just help us uh, think on these things and, and other things about you and your character and, and guide us through this coming week and keep us safe. Also, I just thank, thank you for this coming Passover and ask that you, uh, you accept our, uh, our offerings during this Passover season. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay. Thanks.